The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. p.m. North American Eastern Time. That is 6 p.m. in the beautiful Canadian Maritimes, half past six in Newfoundland and beyond the Americas, 10 p.m. in London, 11 p.m. in Paris, midnight in Moscow, half past one in Tehran for all you Newfoundlanders who moved to Iran for the half-hour time zone, 2.45 a.m. in Kathmandu. For all you Iranians who moved to Nepal to check out the quarter-hour time zone, 5 a.m. in Singapore, Honkers and Perth, 7 a.m. in Sydney and Melbourne, and a far more convivial hour for the Kippers and Kedgeree for our listeners across the Pacific on Saturday morning. But whether it's uh, Friday afternoon or Saturday where you are, you are welcome to Mark Stein's Clubland Q&A. You know how it works. Uh, any of the seven and a half billion people on the planet are free to listen to the show, and I hope you do. Uh, you only have to be a Mark Stein club member if you wish to ask me a question. Um, I'm a little wobbly today because uh, I had a dental appointment that didn't go terribly well, uh, but I'll try and hold it together for the next hour or so. Uh, when I emerged from the dentist's chair... It was to ashen faces and a headline on the BBC, a BBC uh, World News Channel, that has stayed there all day. U.S. This is the BBC for you. U.S. Supreme Court ends abortion rights. That's how the BBC summed it up in six words. You know, I um, I I lost heart. With the BBC, I gave up on the BBC because the the kind of little things that I'm interested in, uh, you know, the the classical channel Radio Three or um, documentaries on Radio Four, not even documentaries, just things where you know Anna Massey used to read out letters from a Victorian lady for twenty eight minutes, uh, stationed somewhere overseas. I used to I used to like all that kind of side of the BBC, and then they signed or songwriter uh, and song programs, the kind of things I do on Serenade Radio. The BBC stopped doing that, and I sort of divined that everybody there in all those areas now was crap. And then I noticed, compared to other areas like period dramas and so forth at the Beeb, but it is amazing <laughs> to see quite how lousy the BBC News Channel is. Uh, you might say that's just because I'm uh, currently doing a show on a rival channel, GB News, but I do think US Supreme Court ends abortion rights is a headline that can only consciously mislead. Anyway, you all have thoughts on this. It is a momentous day after half a century. 
And I know a little bit about some of these anniversaries. I can't remember which was the first anniversary piece I wrote on Roe versus Wade. I think it's possibly the 25th, uh, maybe 30th anniversary. But even I have been, as a sort of dilettante foreigner in some of these affairs, have been added a long time. And it is the achievement of a great Republican and conservative policy goal that they have been after for half a century. They've raised a ton of money over it. They've fired up the base in what might otherwise be lackluster midterm elections over it. And now here we are. It's gone. Roe versus Wade is over. JM is first up today. JM writes, hi, Mark. With the overturning of Roe versus Wade, I have a question about the future divisions in America. I always found your concerns about a future America with less stars in the American flag very interesting. When going down this thought pathway, I assumed it would be red states deciding to separate from the Union before the blue states because of taxes, regulations, immigration, etc. The right to an abortion will be fundamental to the identity of blue states. The divide between what holds us together as a country grows ever wider. Now that states can decide individual abortion laws, does this new turn change how you see things shaking out for the 50-state union going forward? Well, I think the 50-state union is a difficult proposition. Um, And, you know, to be honest, if it... Well, let's put it this way. Something like Brexit is easier to pull off than the dissolution of the American Union. As as many obstacles as were thrown in the path of Brexit, in the end, the United Kingdom was free to leave the European Union. Now, the European Union is determined to punish the United Kingdom for that, in part so that uh, other restive nations, particularly in Central and Eastern Europe, don't get any similar ideas. Um, but even the form of punishment reminds you that, for, for example, they, they, they might well succeed, the European Union, in detaching Northern Ireland and cementing it to uh, the state to its south and putting it back in the EU as a full-fledged member. And again, that's easier to do there, or it would be easier for Quebec uh, to leave uh, to leave Canada. I think there, I think it's a bit like the party system. I think it's the, uh, apart from anything else, the civil war was deemed to have settled the question of whether states are free to lose. Now, the leave. Now, the interesting thing is that when uh, this used to be talked about, as you said, it was red states. Red states were thinking individually, oh, you know, good, uh, good grief. Uh, the blue state America is crazy and it's crazy at a national federal level. So at a certain point, uh, you know, whatever it is, uh, Texas could go it alone, except Texas is kind of being becoming a purple state right now. I think it goes beyond all that, which is that the left is basically all the time arguing for the global elite consensus. 
on whether whether you're talking about uh, climate change or COVID or whatever. And then there are people who just want to get on and live their lives. And doing that, generally speaking, is easier in small countries than it is in big countries, particularly big centralized countries, which are the only ones on offer. So this decision on abortion, which doesn't end abortion rights, most I discovered that I had Anne McElhenney on my show uh, on GB News last night. And Anne was on a few weeks ago. And every time Anne comes on and talks about abortion, she's talking about Kermit Gosnell. She's talking about abortion uh, in the fourth term. She's ta- As we know, she's, she's talking about men who make their living. They went to medical school. They passed all the exams. They are proficient physicians. And yet they make their living by pulling 15 sixteenths out of the baby uh, out of the birth canal. And then just just to preserve the technicality that this is abortion and not killing babies, they uh, snip the spinal cord. Now, that until today was legal disgracefully legal. I mean, basically it may, making America the charnel house, uh, the, uh, a charnel house that should shame most Americans, should shame all Americans. But of course, you know, a significant proportion don't think of it like that. Some people know what it is and they still support it. Oh, the woman's right to choose, the woman's right. Oh, the baby's gurgling, gurgling. I'm trying to talk about a woman's right to choose here and the baby's gurgling in the background. Could you, for God's sake, stick the scissors in the skull so I don't have to listen to the baby gurgling while I talk about the importance of uh, protecting a woman's right to choose? That kind of abortion, which is currently legal in all 50 states and however many territories it is, will now become more geographically selective. But it will still be the law in uh, hardcore Democrat states, such as California and New York, and ones we don't tend to think of as such hardcore Democrat states, but where the Democrat Party campaigns on Uh, legalizing infanticide. Those Democrats in Virginia. Virginia, which was a rock-solid red state within living memory. But Democrats can remain politically viable while arguing for infanticide. I don't know whether... You know, I I paid attention. I mean, I saw, for example... Now, just to go back to that point I was making, that this is what abortion is in America... What will happen now is that those hardcore states that love it, abortion, I just like nothing better than seeing a fit, healthy baby carried to term and then killed. What was that woman? Some, you know, one of these dime store celebrities uh, said that she'd love to be impregnated by Trump uh, just to go have the pleasure of uh, stabbing the baby's skull as he emerges from the womb. I mean, there were people who... who uh, Naomi Wolf said to me, oh, no, I'm not pro-abortion. I'm not pro-abortion. I just am pro-choice. But the fact is that actually there are a lot of women pro, seriously pro-abortion, 
Ashley Judd, for example, and, you know, one looks at what Ashley Judd's been through at the hands of Harvey Weinstein and people, and you realise that there are a lot of damaged people out there and that since this is some kind of weird displacement. But the point is, most I would, I would bet that a lot of states are going to settle down with something closer to continental abortion, the way it is in, you know, uh, Scandinavia, say, where basically abortion is a first trimester thing. So you find out about it pretty quickly and you decide you're going to do something about it. And if you leave it to the second trimester, it all gets a lot more complicated and you're going to have to find a second doctor to sign off on it or whatever. And you can... If you believe that life begins at conception, then that is no consolation except in the numbers, that there's a lot fewer babies being killed. And it's, it's also, I think, it's also psychologically healthier. I think it's, I think it's, um, there's, there's something distressing about seeing a fully formed nine-month-old fetus, as the abortionists say, being killed. And, you know, a, a society that tolerates that will tolerate a lot of evils, a lot of other evils. And uh, my position is that abortion is not only a moral wrong, but even those go-along-to-get-along politicians who went along with uh, the Euro-style legalization uh, did their countries an awful harm. Just As I said, just we're just keeping it here. We're not talking about the moral question, just talking about the utilitarian question, um, which is... Uh, we, which is a, uh, that, uh, you know, this is going to happen anyway, so it might as well happen safely. But it's gone way beyond that now. Every Western society, including America, has deathbed demographics. This is actually the central question. We don't have enough babies. We don't have enough babies, so we import babies from this, the whole thesis of America alone. We don't have enough babies, so we import babies from other countries, immigrants, to have the children that we can be bothered having ourselves. And as we see, that has transformative consequences in America, in Canada, uh, in the UK, in Europe, everywhere. Uh, so actually, the priority for almost all Western societies now, and like I said, let's say, OK, oh, we don't want to put women, a, woman, a woman's place is uh, in the kitchen and then in the bedroom for 10 minutes so she can uh, uh, drop babies so you feel good about yourself because your bloodline is uh, being... Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, you need young people on, on the social security programs and public pensions programs, again, in North America... Europe, Australia, wherever you want to look, you need young people to work to pay for uh, old people's retirement. And so the easiest way to do that is to have babies, because if you try to use immigrants, uh, there's not a lot of evidence that Mohammed and Ahmed are going to be willing to work themselves into the ground uh, to support Jean-Pierre playing boules after the age of 58 or whatever it is in France. So, so, so to me, um, 
there are, to me, the state has no overriding issue in enabling abortion, none whatsoever. I'm trying to, I'm trying to put it now in non-moral terms. And the reason I do that is because I've learned, uh, particularly from studying the American right at close quarters for a large part of my life, that people will only go with you so far and no further. That there, there are certain uh, that there are certain arguments that that uh, that the the, the 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 biddable types on the other side won't go with. And I'm thinking of people like, do you know this guy El Presidente from uh, Barstool Sports? What's his name? Uh, Dave Portnoy. Now, I'm Dave Portnoy is a big celebrity in America. He's a big star. I've had him uh, on Fox. Uh, whatever it is, two or three times in in recent years, because he started to move rightward as the right perceived it. So I remember sitting in uh, guest hosting for Tucker one night, and he came in for the last 15 minutes on the show. And uh, Tucker's producers were booking him quite a lot in those days because he had interesting things to say on all the woke madness and all the rest of it. And uh, he was an affable fellow. And we, I'm, I'm not claiming to be his buddy or anything. I don't know anything. I don't know the first thing about the guy. Uh, because I, Partly because I've no interest in any of these dreadful corporate sports that are the main source of his bread and butter. But he was an affable fellow and he was a great performer on television. And people used to tweet us in the same tweets as if we were somehow of like mind. Um. And uh, and I enjoyed interviewing him, That whatever it was, those two or three times. Well, he's now come out. He's stunned by this reversal of Roe versus Wade. And he's uh, and he said, uh, what's the the crude headline that the, I can't actually quote his words uh, because um, they're full of the F word. He's so worked up about this. I don't quite know why he should be so worked up about this but uh but what's let me just see i'm gonna have to find this thing uh dave portnoy i hate that republicans are forcing me to vote for a moron like biden now just get this it's because of rovers because again oh where does this leave us for now we we've, we've just had a great a terribly bad law has been struck down, a law that should never have been made on the books. And only under this stupid constitutional fetishization could this law have been put in place, uh, which has enabled the Kermit Gosnells to kill children. And it's another reason why constitutional fetishization is not my bag, particularly, because it leads to sophistry. Um, Whatever you say uh, about, you know, Ireland, for example, as Anne McElhenney says, you know, in Northern Ireland, for example, they complained that they had abortion forced on them by Westminster. South of the border, uh, as Anne McElhenney likes to say, that's the only place on the planet where it was actually voted in by popular vote. But it was at least voted in by legislatures uh, in most other countries. And on no higher or lower basis than, well, thing times have changed and we've changed too. That's the, that 
uh, as reprehensible as it may be, is less mired in half-wit sophistry than pretending that somehow our founding fathers cannily provided for a constitutional right to abortion. So I'm not, I'm not, that's one great reason for striking it down and saying, no, there's 50 states, however many territories, have at it. And let, uh, you know, have at it, decide who you are and decide what you're willing to live with. But to me, the the interesting thing, that Dave Portnoy thing, I hate that Republicans are forcing me to vote for a moron like Biden. Now, think of, again, I don't want to be reductive, but you think of all these people predicting the red wave in November and they and they get and, and Republic because, you know, as I used to joke, the uh, the encyclopedia of Republican celebrities was a single sheet of paper. Uh, white paper, double spaced with nothing on the back, you know, so everyone gets terribly excited. Oh, Bill Maher. What do you think of the way Bill Maher's talking now about Biden? What do you think of the way Dave Portney's been talking these last two years? Oh, and suddenly now Roe versus Wade, which is overwhelmingly popular with, uh, you know, what they call the bro community, the sports bros. Uh, the kind of talk actually you often hear on post-Rush talk radio. Uh, they're overwhelmingly pro-choice. They might despise Biden. They might despise the wokery. They might think it's rubbish that a uh, that uh, a woman's right to choose is now also a man's right to choose, and that somewhere or other in uh, some hospital in the United States, some pregnant man is uh, changing his mind and getting an abortion while he still can. They might think all oh, that's codswallop. But funnily enough, these bro type guys, your Dave Portnoy's and your Bill Maher's, and suddenly Roe versus Wade goes and uh, Portnoy's back in the Biden camp. I don't know where. Uh, Bill Maher will be. So I, I think this is I think this is interesting. I would be in favor of a general principle, uh, just to go back to where we came in, as JM said, of of uh, I'm in favor in principle of small countries, and the way things are going, I think America would be better off as a bunch of small countries. But the thing is, the thing is. Uh, the left understands that, and they look at the European Union, and uh, and they're not willing to let any rinky-dink little state or territory go just because it's minded to, and this won't change that. Jamie Marsh says, Mark, it was 6-3 in favour of Dobbs, but only 5-4 to overrule Roe, with Roberts opting for a political compromise and not overturning Roe. His opinion makes no sense to me and got me wondering who's a bigger weasel, John Roberts or Mitt Romney. Um, I'm not sure that's uh, that's a precisely uh, accurate um, uh, uh, precy of... Uh, of the Roberts position. Roberts is Roberts regards himself as the designated swinger. And so as a practical matter, 6-3 in favor of Dobbs. What Roberts wanted was to 
support the Dobbs decision, but not overturn Roe. Because he wants a, he's the quiet life guy and he's become the designated swinger. Um, but in the end, he and, and there were there were certainly circumstances in which he uh, would not have gone along with this. But the, the fact the fact of the matter is that on the on the decision that counts six, three, the Dobbs decision. Um, he was there. Now, Roberts is unsad, complete, obviously, you know, who's a bigger weasel, John Roberts or Mitt Romney? Well, I don't care if Mitt Romney's a weasel, because in theory, at least, the people can vote him out. I'm, I'm, John, uh, Shannon Bream and I discussed this a few, a few months back, because I put it to Shannon, you know, Shannon made the point that, oh, Chief Justice Roberts sees his job as uh, not letting the court be perceived as political. Uh, and so that's why he votes the way he does, to, to, to liquidate uh, an overly political impression of the court. But in fact, that's, there's nothing the least judicial about doing that. That in itself is also a political position. And actually, a contemptible one because all John John Roberts, uh, you know, so John Roberts thinks he demonstrates he's above politics by making a political decision uh, not to sign on to overly political judgments. That's not his job. He's a bloody jack and a can't stand. You know, throwaway line from Stein: "One night on Tucker Carlson, a judge's republic is a contradiction in terms." That's all he is. Oh, the just these justices. Uh, he's he's a judge, and all a judge has to do is apply the law. And as we see, John Roberts regards his task as applying politics. Uh, and I don't happen to agree with him on that. And I wouldn't agree with it, whichever direction he was coming from. You know, the 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 uh, one thing I did like, uh, and I know it's driven people nuts, but it's driven all the right people nuts. <laughs> well, Clarence Thomas, you know, for the for the for the left, every victory is just a a is just a brief stop at an internet rest area before you gallop on to the next victory. So, for example, when they got same-sex marriage, they didn't think, oh, wow, what a battle that was. I'm really wiped out. I think I just need to go to the Bahamas for a couple of weeks and relax. No, they said, OK, uh, so much for same-sex marriage. On to transgender bathrooms. That's how the left thinks. Always onward. So I thought it was actually rather funny when Clarence Thomas says, OK, so much for abortion. Now on to all this other stuff, including uh, same-sex marriage, because he's just giving them exactly what the left does with everything. And, um, and I, I, you know, I think the problem here, I think the problem here is, and, and all these things, again, the thing about something like same-sex marriage is uh, one might one might regret it, but when uh, Ireland or Australia votes it in, the people are, are, are essentially saying, we've changed our minds. This is who we are now, which is more honest than actually saying to uh, five judges... 
well, basically one judge, John Roberts. <laughs> uh, can you let us know which way you're going to go on this? So John Roberts becomes supreme intergalactic arbiter. I mentioned, you know, that the in in the I think it, in the year 1931, the Judicial Committee of the Privy Council in London had jurisdiction over a quarter of the world's population. And I mentioned this to an American lawyer of mine, and he went, wow, wow, that's a big... And I suddenly realized, oh, wait a minute. He's thinking that it's like the US Supreme Court, you know, that these guys in wigs on the Privy Council are going to be saying, okay, let's introduce same-sex marriage for a quarter of the planet. No, because uh, that's not really in... That's not the role of courts. Courts have uh, powers that they, on big questions, that they exercise sparingly. And Clarence Thomas was basically saying, we shouldn't be in the big question business. That's for, a lot of this stuff is, is for the legislators. Eric Dale says, Mark and fellow club members, will we see mostly peaceful protests by the left in the aftermath of the Dobbs decision? Did the left err by pulling down all the statues they did? It's hard to think of what they could go after right now, save for bringing back that golden oldie of burning down churches that was Democrats' go-to move until the 1960s. Oh, I think they've done a little bit since then. Assuming that should occur... Do you expect uh, and the, do you expect the U.S. Justice Department to look the other way on that too? Of course, they're already looking the other way. You know, we've got some right now. We've we've got the American lack of equality before the law going on in real time. We still have this stupid um, insurrection. January sixth inquiry that's going on with Adam Schiff and the usual guys on TV where they're interviewing people about, you know, Trump inciting an insurrection. We've actually got uh, leaders of the Democrat Party starting the minute this decision came down, inciting people to get into the streets and to take their anger to the Supreme Court. And it's not hard. I'm not I'm not willing it, but it's not hard when you see the way a would-be assassin can show up at uh, Kavanaugh's house and not even make the papers. It's not hard to see that uh, a situation in which uh, things turn really ugly, really violent, really bloody, very fast for the judges. It was a great victory for rule of law today. It's none to do. And I would say this, regardless of which way the ruling went or what the case was about. Because what was what happened was that we had a leak intended to intimidate judges. Now, that's straight out of Banana Republic. That's what the drug cartels do in Latin America. And that's the crappy situation that America looked like it was being reduced to in the wake of that leak, a leak that that awful hack who runs the Department of Justice for Joe Biden doesn't bother taking seriously. Joe Biden didn't take it seriously. Nancy Pelosi didn't take it seriously. But it was serious. And these these guys whose addresses are known and who don't have... I mean, I've, I've socialized with uh, a couple of these guys and they don't have 
well, I'll put it this way. They don't have the security I had when I gave a speech in Copenhagen. So, you know, uh, they don't have any great security with them, these these guys. And 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 the Justice Department will look the other way, will look the other way. It's different when Republicans do it. Mark says Wayne Lanham, do you have any suggestions for mitigating the sadness, sadness and even occasional despair that sometimes comes from dealing with so much civilizational collapse? Judicial victories like today help, but to paraphrase you, a republic that depends on rulings from judges is not a republic. So how do you keep a positive attitude in the face of all the decline? Well, we are a great civilization. And we have done more than anybody else in human history. We have, we have all the great glories of the world. Uh, if you look at a cathedral, if you look at a painting, if you listen to a, uh, a, a string quartet, you understand that even... And those were guys who lived in or often in terribly crappy times. And yet they were able to rise above those times. And I think about those things. I think about the men who uh, built those cathedrals, the circumstances they live in. And I, I do take some, take some uh, comfort uh, from that. And I think it's an, uh, it's an important thing. We had another, we had a question on a related theme. I'm trying to see where it... Uh, where it uh, came from. Uh, maybe, uh, hey, Laurie, could you send me that one? It's one, a guy, one from um, uh, someone who was watching Jeeves and Worcester. If you can pull that one up and, and uh, send it uh, to me. Um, uh, because it, it, it's... Um, it was. Uh, it made a good point. This this club member. I want to credit his name, um, and he he made a very good point uh, that he can't watch things like Jeeves and Worcester anymore uh, because it makes him too sad. Uh, and the point about that is that. Uh, and he was talking not just about Jeeves and Worcester, but about other great uh, British and American works, because uh, instead, uh, oh, yeah, here we are. It's William Fleischmann. William was actually in Ukraine and is no longer in Ukraine, I believe. Um, he says, I recently started watching Jeeves and Worcester and did not enjoy it. It's not that it isn't funny, but it's depressing to watch depictions of interwar Britain and compare them with what I see today. I also feel the same watching my other favourite British films like Carry On, Doctor in the House, Foil's War, A Night to Remember, Zulu, Flames Over India, Lives of a Bengal Lancer and the Battle of Britain. For that matter, as an American, uh, I feel the same way watching Drums Along the Mohawk, Gone with the Wind, It's a Wonderful Life. America and Great Britain were beautiful nations and we destroyed them. To watch these films is to read the epitaph of the Anglo-Saxon Celtic Norman race. As a cinema expert, you also feel the same way watching old films. I, I, the, this is the most obvi obvious thing. For, when you were in Ukraine, uh, John Gross's son, John Gross was a colleague of mine at the Sunday Telegraph. And his son uh, occasionally took people from Hungary into 
Western Ukraine. Uh, the places I've been talking about in the last few months, the Book of Ena and so on. And he would, at a certain point, he'd say to the people he was taking around, the people who built these buildings are no longer here, which is true of Jews. It, you know, that there were great Jewish towns in Western Ukraine, and then one day all the Jews went away. But it's also true of certain others, you know, the, the Germans and Austrians and Poles and various other people all went away too. And, and and that's very sobering. It's, it's, it's very sobering to look at a society that was built by one group of people and all their works, the houses they built, the public buildings they built, are all now being lived in by people who are entirely different. And again, that goes back to the abortion thing. Where, where, where we've become dependent. The argument people make about mass immigration is, oh, never mind the fact that uh, this is cultural transformation. Um, you know, we need bus drivers. We need nurses. Well, show me somebody who thinks of themselves as a bus driver. No, that's not. There's, we, we, talk, we talk about identity politics. So there are members of the gay American community, there's members of the lesbian American community, there's members of the Hispanic American community. Nobody thinks of themselves as a member of the bus driver American community. They have identities that are deeper and more profound than that. And so when you depend on mass immigration because you're aborting all your babies... Uh, what you wind what you wind up with is is a cultural is a cultural transformation that is profound and is very sad and it gets to the complete waste of time of Osama bin Laden in blowing up the World Trade Center because in the fullness of time uh, if we carry on with uh, abortion rates and the collapsed fertility rates, Osama's Afghan neighbors are going to be the ones occupying the World Trade Center. And that was a pretty nice building, so he didn't really need to knock it all down, did he? Um, uh, let's, uh, let's see what we got here. Frank Gallenstein says, I look forward to hearing the discussion about Roe and hopefully some credit to Trump. However, did you see the... Bernie Sanders versus Lindsey Graham debate that Fox News hosted. Lindsey Graham was pathetic. Bernie Sanders served up a bunch of lobs and Lindsey Graham whiffed. After the third week of class, my first year econ students, econ, econ, economics, econ, economics, economics. <laughs> I can't say it. Never mind, do it. Uh, my first year econ students could have defended capitalism better than Lindsey Graham did. He has no foundation for his beliefs. Maybe he doesn't have any beliefs. Yeah, I mean, I don't know whether li life is too short to talk about Lindsey Graham, really, um, <laughs> because he's just gone over to the he's he reached across the aisle on the whole gun issue. You know, the, the, the salient fact about that shooting in Uvalde is that uh, those kids died because their safety and security was mortgaged to the state. And the state was in the corridor sitting around in body armor uh, with more weaponry than 
many EU armies, and they didn't. They the official explanation. They lie about everything. The official explanation for a couple of weeks was that the oh the door was locked and they were waiting for some crackerjack locksmith to come and unpick it. The door was in fact open, and on the other side of that open door were children being killed. And those awful failures, those sad husks of human beings, I'm surprised any of them are still living in that town. Um, but that complete fiasco, that body count, was only due to the police in action. So I mentioned this only, uh, Frank, to bring it back to Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham has, has suddenly decided that gun control is the thing, so he's, re- he's one of 14 Republicans to reach across the aisle. Now, I got into a little bit of trouble with a senior executive vice president at Fox who didn't like my Tucker. Uh, at Tucker, we, we were never able to get Lindsey Graham on the show. Uh, when I was guest hosting or when Tucker was in the chair. Lindsey Graham wouldn't come on because he knew Tucker was going to ask him some hard questions. So he would then generally go on, often three nights a week, on the show that follows, whose name escapes me. And I was berating Lindsey Graham about something or other. I can't remember what it was now. And uh, and and Mead Cooper, who is the deputy senior executive vice. No, she's not even a deputy. She is the senior. She runs all Fox's primetime programming. She's uh, from seven to midnight. She's one of the most powerful women in America. And she called up to say uh, that it wasn't uh, I, I shouldn't be uh, going on about Lindsey Graham going on Hannity three nights a week. Okay, okay, fine. I'll uh, I'll just knuckle under, and I won't even mention that you said that to me, Mead. Oh, wait a minute. Did I just say that? Anyway, the point is, there's no bloody point having Lindsey Graham on three nights a week. He believe, as you say, he believes in nothing. He's now now. Sean Hannity is the man who uh, a couple of years ago he was waving a gun around in the the green room. He likes guns so much. He likes to, he likes to point them at gay. He pointed it at think at uh, Juan Williams. That's how much he likes guns. Gun, gun, gunnity, gun, gunnity, gunnity, gun. Uh, conceal carry, open carry, uh, open carry in the green room. He's for all of it, and yet he has this anti-gun boob on, and and. Uh, that uh, three three nights a week or whatever it is. There's nothing for anyone. The minute uh, the minute Lindsey Graham is on television, Republicans are losing. Oh, uh, joining me to discuss the impending red wave in November is Senator Lindsey Graham. Hey, Senator, great work on that anti-gun bill. So this big Republican wave that if you have, there's no reason for any. He does nothing for ratings. I know this. I know this. Of uh, you know, when you go through the minute by minutes and the quarter hours, every minute you got Lindsey Graham on, you you're doing nothing for your audience. Okay, okay. I shouldn't be getting so excited about Lindsey Graham, but I I I agree with you, Frank. He was pathetic against Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders, actually, Bernie. <laughs> Bernie Sanders has modified his views on guns, but, uh, you know, he actually had a pretty... The, the, the point is the left's fixtures, uh, whatever you feel about them, the left's fixtures 
are not these jelly spine nothings in the way that so many of the rights fixtures are. And that's, I think, probably all I, I didn't really mean to mention Mead Cooper. She's a delightful lady, but I, I didn't feel uh, being, I, I felt things had crossed a line when you're being berated for criticising Lindsey Graham's ubiquity on Fox's airwaves. Uh, let's have a let's have a little musical interlude. We had one last week. Uh, we played a song called "Unborn Child," uh, a setting by Jim Seals of the seventies soft rock duo Seals and Crofts. A setting by Mr. Seals of a poem by his recording engineer's wife, Lana Bogan, that Lana had written in the wake of Roe versus Wade. And many of you were touched by the song. I. I was a little surprised by that, but I received so many emails by people who were genuinely moved by that song. And if you haven't yet heard it, um, go and um, go and listen to, to last week's show. Uh, or actually, you can check out various websites around the world which noted I'd played the song. I think Catholic Insight and Catholic Magazine and places like that. They noted I'd played the song, and so they brought it to their audience's attention. Um, but Kate Smythe, a Stein clubber from Down Under, uh, mentioned just in the comments on the show a, a, a song on a similar theme by the Ben Folds Five, who were biggish in the 90s. This song is drawn straight from life, straight from high school, when 17-year-old Ben Folds drove his girlfriend to get an abortion. Quote, they call her name at 7.30. I pace around the parking lot and I walk down to buy her flowers. And then the line Kate Smythe quoted in our comments, addressed to the child the singer will never know. Can't you see? It's not me you're dying for. 6 a.m. day after Christmas Throw some clothes on in the dark The smell of cold Car seat is freezing The world is sleeping I am numb Up the stairs
they call her name at 7.30 I pace around the parking lot And I walk down to buy her flowers And sell some gifts that I got Can't you see It's not me Folds 5 with Brick. It was a top 20 hit in America, Britain, Canada, Australia. Ripped right from the star of the group's own life. Uh, The decision he and his girlfriend made at the age of 17 in high school to get an abortion. Uh, As I said, a a sort of medium-sized hit all around the world, but I'm not aware of ever having heard it until Kate Smythe drew it to my attention And my first reaction was that the spare autobiographical verses didn't quite fit the hook. The chorus, as we used to say, I think it's really basically just a hook here, uh, about being a brick. And uh, (laughs) I looked into it and found that while Ben Folds wrote all the verses, the chorus is by the band's drummer, Darren Jesse. Uh, So make of that what you will. Um, But uh, interesting... Uh, spare, autobiographical, and acknowledging that there is a child uh, that he will never know uh, as a result of what he is doing. Jan Shebout writes, Hello, Mr. Ginger Star. <laughs> yeah, we keep getting asked if we'll do Ginger Growler merchandise. <laughs> There's... Uh, There's an old Joan Rivers joke. I don't know whether I can tell it, actually. Uh, So excited for the success of your show, says Jan. 
I've been sending people your way because nothing ups the ratings like folks tuning in from elsewhere in the world. Quality is rare in today's broadcasting world. In looking at international abortion laws, which other countries compare to the infant sacrifice bloodlust of the U.S., is there any country in the world where the life of the unborn matters significantly or at all in abortion law. Some liberal U.S. states were pushing infanticide and looking to capriciously murder a child for any reason. Do you think this decision will affect abortion law in other countries? Well, Snurley and I talked about that the other day because I think it was Politico or someone had some story about how the, 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 the reversal of Roe versus Wade would have terrible consequences for a woman's right to choose all over the rest of the world. And I explained early in the show that abortion rights really arose um, out of a, in a more sort of utilitarian sense. I mean, if you look at, for example, the Catholic Church in the United Kingdom in the late 60s when Britain legalized uh, abortion, the, the Catholic Church didn't really have anything to say about it. They regarded it as a... You should never underestimate the, the cynicism of powerful people because the Catholic Church in the UK, uh, certainly at that time, uh, thought that the kind of people who would be getting abortions were the kind of people who, who shouldn't really be bringing babies into the world anyway. You'll have heard that from people here... Uh, too, and uh, there's cynicism all over about these things. What's what's shocking to me is when you actually uh, look at the highest abortion rates, um, which I, I looked at, I can't remember, I think it was in America alone in the passage on Russia, because in Russia, over half of all babies are aborted. Over half. Over half. Uh, and that's why in, they've been doing that, you know, for a while now, since the 90s. And that's one reason why they're in difficulties in Ukraine, because the way we think of it, of, of Russia from the Second World War, our Uncle Joe, our great ally and all the rest of it, and he had just millions and millions and millions of young men to throw at the Germans uh, and, until the Germans were just overwhelmed. And, uh, and Uncle Joe's successor, Tsar Putin, doesn't have any young men because uh, the way um, Russian women abort their babies. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, ex-Soviet states that fall into that category. I mean, my rough memory of the top 10 is that it's uh, a couple of the central European stands, like Kazakhstan, which has a, an un, for a supposedly Muslim society, which it, it's, it is, but it isn't Muslim in the sense of Somalia and Afghanistan. And so it, it, Kazakhstan uh, aborts over a third of its babies. And then you have... Uh, Parts, other parts of the so, like Belarus, which is um, you know Ukraine's northern neighbour, they roughly abort a third of their babies. Um, Ukraine itself 
uh, has deathbed demographics because it aborts so many babies. Then you have these, uh, sometimes there are admirable qualities about the uh, the Baltic states, Estonia and uh, Latvia and uh, Lithuania and so on, but they have staggeringly high abortion rates. Once it becomes accepted, and as I said, we when I'm I'm not I'm not talking about it as a moral question. It is a great moral evil. But the the fact of the matter: why are there? Uh, why are I've been talking honestly about what's been going on on the streets of Rotherham and of Oldham this last week on UK television. So I've undoubtedly racked up another couple of dozen Ofcom complaints because you're not meant to say that it's young Pakistani uh, members of the Pakistani Muslim community who are gang raping uh, underage white English girls, because somehow being any, in the least bit specific about it is just too distressing for everyone. But the only reason, you know, again, it's a very stupid thing. The only reason there's all these Pakistani boys running around these towns is because of a a fairly collapsed birth rate in the United Kingdom. And again, I uh, these people all came to these northern towns to work in the mills. Well, the mills closed anyways. A uh, lot of the bus routes closed too. And But all the people brought over to work in the mills stayed on and they brought in their cousins and their cousins brought in their cousins. And next thing you know, the customs of Mirpur have taken hold in Yorkshire. And so, so just as I said, just as a practical matter, our societies would be far more tranquil if people had more babies and again people say oh you, you but what's it like if you were uh, if you if you get i'll give you an example actually i've got no time speaking of ginger growlers i've got no time for angela rayner the deputy leader of her majesty's loyal opposition at westminster she got knocked up when she was 16 and she had the baby i think she might even been 15 when she got knocked up and uh, she had the baby and she raised the baby as a single mum. And so in consequence of that, she became a grandmother at 37 or whatever it was. And she's thriving and doing well. And you can say a lot of things about her. She's a ghastly politician. She's a vicious politician. She believes in all kinds of codswallop. And it's not mitigated by the fact that the so-called Conservative Party in Britain believes in 90% of Angela Rayner's Labour Party codswallop. But the fact is... She had the baby at 16. And, and you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Now, oh, no, no, no. But it's, it ruins your life. You're supposed to go to college and do transgender and colonialism studies until you're 28. And then you're paying off your debt so you can't afford to have a baby, even as your body shrivels past the childbearing stage. But if you pay off your... OK, you can't pay off your college debt. But if Joe Biden uh, pays off your college debt for you, you might still have a couple of eggs lying uh, around in there uh, to have one designer boutique yuppie uh, helicoptered child at the age of 39 or 42 or 47 or 53 or whatever it's up to by now. There's no, you know, literally abortion symbolizes 
and the and the fetishization of the the word well, that's not really, that's a trivial the constitution is fetishized but abortion is really a sacrament as we're now seeing on the left and uh that is only that that itself is the perfect image of what is wrong with our society renewal life birth are the problem and uh, and and if you say well don't you think there's something you know as we were talking about looking at any mid 20th century bit of television or movie from the UK or the US don't you think it's a bit sad that the future of say even Germans you know and I know Hitler got a bit carried away with the old Lebensraum and he doesn't need any Lebensraum now because the future of all those German cities is going to be Muslim. The, the, the hostility to life, uh, the, the reflexive hostility to life. Oh, oh, you know, that song we just listened to, I think it's the third verse they talk about, you know, the parents. They waited till the parents were out of town and then uh, he drives the girl to the abortion clinic. But parents aren't stupid. They can figure out something's going wrong. They can figure out the daughter's unhappy. The son seems sort of twitchy and not quite the same. What does it kids do? What it, what is it teenagers do? It's not hard to work out in that situation what's happened and then to try and figure out what they did about it. But I would, and I can understand if you're like some upper middle class parent in Connecticut, it's terribly embarrassing. You know, the ginger growler, uh, uh, Angela Rayner, she was just some from some working class council estate where people have low, expecta low expectations of you. So they all think, oh, she know better than she deserves or whatever. I understand it's different if you're like a little, think of yourself as a little upper middle class uh, person from Connecticut or whatever. But, but the listening to Joe Biden today, who was just awful, awful. I prefer him when he's lost his marbles and he comes out and he just makes up words or he squints into the prompt, he doesn't get it, or he threatens to uh, remove Putin from power, American boots on the ground. And you, I, I, I prefer him when he's just off the charts uh, and is talking dribble or not talking anything at all or just falling down steps or falling down a bike to when he actually gives a glimpse of the cold, ugly, dead reality of where so many people in Western societies are. Now, if you're a fan of Dave Portnoy, and he has far more fans in America than I do, and he, people who like these ghastly sports, um, think about how you could reach a guy like that who seems to just think that in, in an age of technological marvels where you can do all kinds of things. There's all kinds of contraception. There's no uh, need for anyone to get pregnant. Why killing the baby has become the highest symbol of progressive virtue. 
to the point where we're now, oh yes, petrol, it's, it's the first Tuesday in November and petrol is $12 a gallon and there's no baby formula, but it doesn't matter because uh, once we vote in the new guys, you're not going to need baby formula because there'll be no more babies because Roe versus Wade will be back. Um, everything's crap here. Everything is collapsing. Nothing works. The country's broke. The country can't win a war. Right now, the biggest, uh, the, 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 the only thing holding up America is that other parties around the world, whether allied or hostile, are not sure that this is the right moment to yank the rug out from under the dollar. And you're thinking, and, and Dave Portnoy is a smart guy. He's a business guy. He knows all this. But somehow he's saying, oh, thank you, Republicans, uh, for, uh, for making, forcing me to vote for Joe Biden. Forcing me to vote for Joe Biden. You're making, his thing is, oh, no one should ever tell a woman what to do. In case you haven't noticed, we're putting these evil needles into the arms of six-month-old babies. Or, you know, all the people. You can, you can see this. If some guys occasionally, some wise guys occasionally go up to the uh, pussy hat crowd uh, rampaging around the Supreme Court and say, oh, yeah, you're all for bodily autonomy, my body, my choice. Well, how do you feel about vaccine mandates? How, how do you feel about having to have a vaccine passport to travel abroad? How do you feel about having to be vaccinated to work as a waitress in New York? How do you feel about having to have your bloody six-month-old baby uh, jabbed in the arm. Oh, well, that's completely different. OK, so we're not talking here about any principles of bodily autonomy. It's just you like aborting babies. Good. Useful to know. Uh, Kelton says, Hello, Mark. Should Julian Assange's extradition to the United States serve as a warning for the rest of us as we head towards a world with fading borders and greater bifurcation between citizens and elites. As I said, if Mr. Assange, if you're not following the Julian Assange case, by the way, this is the WikiLeaks guy who leaked all that stuff about the Democrats just before the election. He is an Australian subject of the crown. So he owes no allegiance to the United States. If the United States is so bloody stupid as to have five million people with uh, top secret security clearances, which it is, uh, then its secrets are going to walk out the door and go hither and yon. And so Julian Assange published those secrets, as other people, the New York Times, the Washington Post, have published government secrets many times before. But he made the deep state look like chumps, so they're going to get him. And, and he embarrassed Democrats, so they're going to get him. Um, as I see it, says Kelton, if Mr. Assange can be extradited after 12 years ago for who knows what, then so can you. I say that because during that same period of time, Hillary Clinton's actions as Secretary of State were far worse and she did not face any consequences. Will Hillary ever face extradition to Italy for allowing immigrants to cross the Mediterranean after ISIS took control of Libya? Will she be extradited to the home state of Ambassador Chris Stevens for her role in his death? Not a chance. 
By the way, the 10th anniversary of the attack on the U.S. consulate in Benghazi is approaching, and her life during this past decade has been nothing like Mr. Assange's. No equality before the law. I wouldn't extradite to the United States, and I, I distinguish between the federal justice system. I have a little bit more time for, you know, the state of New Hampshire, the state of Vermont, the state of Maine, not too sure about the state of Massachusetts, and certainly wouldn't want New Hampshire to extradite me down to Massachusetts for anything that go, went on down there. But I don't think the federal justice system, I think the federal justice system is absolutely terrible, and Julian Assange is going to die in an American prison. But you get, again, this is deep state shenanigans. This is people leaning, say, look, we can't have this. We all share the U.S., and Her Majesty's Dominions, UK, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, have a uniquely intimate sharing of secrets. And we can't have it if one of your chaps, Pretty Patel, is like running around publishing these. Well, he's not actually really one of our chaps. He's, he's one of the Queen's chaps, but he's really Australia's chap. Yes, 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 yes. But that doesn't matter. Just get him on the plane to us. It's, this, uh, it's absolutely... Uh, Absolutely disgraceful, uh, disgraceful that. Um, and you're quite, and you're quite right. Uh, from from the word go, Hillary has no fear of public prosecution. Uh, Brian from Minneapolis says, "Dear Mark, two supposed victories coming from the Supreme Court regarding abortion and the Second Amendment, but rest assured, Mitch McConnell." will continue on his quest to show bipartisanship in a gun bill and maybe even for abortion rights. The continued coverage of the January 6th committee on our local CBS, ABC, Fox and NBC networks are reaching my mom and she believes the other networks do fair and balanced coverage and Fox is just a wing of the Republican Party. Well, she should enjoy it then. If Fox is just a wing of the Republican Party, it's completely harmless, isn't it? Because it's got Lindsey, Lindsey Graham on there every night and he's all he's gung-ho now for bipartisan gun legislation. There may even be, I don't know what Mitch's position is on this, but there may even be bipartisan abortion legislation. I mean, there's Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski and, uh, uh, and Mitt Romney. <laughs> What's Mitt believe this week? Uh, so, so with that off my chest... <laughs> says Brian. I'll get to the real question. Have you recovered from the second attempted coup led by Stephen Colbert? Share a pint with Nigel if you're still traumatized. Do you know this guy, Stephen Colbert? He hosts, I think it's David Letterman's old show. Is it The Late the late Show? It's not The, t the Tonight Show is one of those Jimmy guys. The, these guys who have 47... Uh, writers and can't come up with anything funny. It's absolutely... <laughs> Stephen Colbert, he's the one who did this song. By the way, if you have suffered adverse effects from the Pfizer, the Moderna, the AstraZeneca, whatever, like a lot of Stein Show guests in the last few weeks, uh, why don't you cheer yourself up by watching the amusing song and dance number Stephen Colbert died, did, where they're all dancing around, I think, with giant needles to the tune of Tequila. 
tequila by the champs, which we mentioned last week. You know, that goes ba bam ba ba dee 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 dee. And it's got no words except that uh, after so much of the ba bam ba ba doo 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 doo, uh, they go tequila. And so they were dancing around going ba bam ba ba doo dee doo doo. And, uh, you know, you, Stephen Colbert is fascinating to watch dance for a huge amount of time during a long instrumental. But every so often after the ba-doot-dee-dee-doo-dee-doot-doot, and then instead of saying tequila, he'd say vaccine, which isn't even matching in syllable. He's got 47 writers. <laughs> the lousy writing stuff of these crap, dead, attitudinal shows where you don't have an honest laugh, you just applaud yourself for having the correct attitude. No one on the 47-man writing team can come up with a three-syllable tequila vaccine. Uh, no, we're one syllable short. Could anyone, you, you guys at the back holding down a full-time job, could you come up with a third syllable? 47 uh, writers... Um, that's, uh, that's only, what is, uh, what is that? That's like 16, 16, 32, 48. Yeah, that's like 16 writers per syllable. And I can't do it. So anyway, Colbert decides he wants to cover January the 6th hearings in his usual comedic way. So he finds someone, a, poli a political guy, to get his guys in there after hours so they can shoot comedy sketches in uh, in the Capitol. So they're using the United States Congress as the set for a comedy sketch, which is illegal after hours. Uh, after hours, only certain persons can be in there, and they don't include people, uh, you know, vaudevillians doing a vaudeville sketch and using the capital as their set. And if you think about it, if you take, oh, this is the citadel of democracy. It's a beacon to people all around the world. There isn't a Taliban goat herd who isn't inspired to rise up and throw off the corrupt regime we gave billions of dollars to uh, by not by seeing the citadel of democracy. And he thinks, yes, I'm yearning. I'm tired. I'm huddled. I'm yearning to be free, just like the people who vote for that citadel of crapper. And I must, I must calm down when I talk about the United States Congress, really. Anyway, the Citadel, that's actually far more insulting to them than the January 6th insurrectionists wandering around between the rope lines. They just thought that the whole dirty, stinking, rotten, corrupt federal system uh, was an insult to them. Whereas uh, the, the Stephen Colbert guys who think, you know, American, American democracy, it's pretty crap, isn't it? But you know what? It makes a good, a good set for a vaudeville sketch. I, I was thrilled when they were arrested. Actually, they should just bloody well bust through the doors of whatever theater he films it in each night uh, and, uh, and, and, um, and arrest them for having 47 writers and not being in the least bit funny. I've gone, I've overstayed my welcome a bit. So I like this for a last question. Douglas says, Mark, I am driving out of D.C. tonight. Any advice on avoiding the mob? Well, I mentioned this really just as a throwaway line 
a few weeks back when I said uh, we, we were talking about the Second Amendment. I said I wasn't really one of these big gun guys. I'm not like Sean Hannity uh, getting it out and <laughs> whenever one Williams is in the green room. Um, I'm not a I'm not a, a big gun guy, but something changed with the George Floyd things. And I and particularly as I find now, actually, a lot of people don't want to if I land at Boston or New York from somewhere, nobody wants to come and pick me up in a car. Uh, so I've had to I've had to I, I always drive with a little something in the glove box now. And I'm not prepared to give the benefit of the doubt to people in the middle of the road. I'm really not. And I think you and I think and and I feel that way because of the appallingly inept behavior of the police and the politicians. You know, you could be you could be dragged out of your car and beaten to a pulp or shot or whatever and macheted and they'd still say, oh, it was a mostly peaceful protest. So if you're driving out of the District of Columbia, all that's all I would say that you. Uh, that you just have to you just have to make sure you've got enough to take care of your needs in there, because as that, that's the thing. I don't give anyone the benefit of the doubt. I used to be a very trusting person, and I looked at these bonkers scenes from the summer of Floyd, and uh, I don't feel that way about anyone I haven't known for at least seventy-eight years now. I'm not a trusting person anymore. Um, but thank you for that, and good luck getting out, Douglas. Do let us know how it how it uh, how it goes. We always have a little bit of music to close, and as I mentioned last week, Seals and Crofts. Uh, record of Unborn Child was a co-winner of the National Organization for Women, uh, their Keep Her In Her Place Award. That lovely song that touched so many of you got a Keep Her In Her Place Award from the National Organization for Women, even though it was co-written by a woman. All the words were written by a woman. Uh, But here is the song it shared that honour with, a number one hit on the Billboard Hot 100 and the winner of Ms. Magazine's Male Chauvinist Pig Award in 1974. If you go and see Paul Anker in concert today, he still sings this, usually directed to a young pregnant woman he's spotted in the fifth or sixth row, and, uh, and they all love it when he comes up and sings this and rubs her belly as he's doing so. And notwithstanding the uh, nags, as Rush used to call them, the National Association of Gals, notwithstanding the National Organization for Women's Keep Her In Her Place Award, you notice Paul has left the decision to the bearer of his child, quote, didn't have to keep it, wouldn't put you through it. You could have swept it from your life, but you wouldn't do it. No, you wouldn't do it. And you're having my baby. Having my baby. What a lovely way of saying how much you love me. Having my baby. What a lovely way of saying what you're thinking of me. I can see it Your face is glowing I can see it in your eyes I'm happy and knowing 
that you have in my baby You're the woman I love and I love what it's doing to you Having my baby Inside you, I see it showing. Oh, the seed inside you, baby, do you feel it growing? Are you happy in knowing that you're having my baby? I'm a woman in love, and I love what it's doing to me. Having my Swept it from your life, but you wouldn't do it. Paul Anker with Odia Coates. It takes some courage to write a couplet that direct. And so we play this record because there aren't a lot of alternatives out there. That song is as old as Roe versus Wade and has now outlasted it. Paul Anker composed it. He stands by it, regardless of, quote, how the libbers feel, as he puts it. Uh, we shall have Rick McGuinness with his Saturday movie date, The Hundred Years Ago Show, a brand new Sunday poem for you. And I'll be with Joe Piscopo on his Sundays with Sinatra show on 77 WABC at 6 p.m. Eastern. At the end of a momentous day, stay safe, stay free. Mark Stein's Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. Rights Reserved.